Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. Your hosts, Russell and Dr. Pete. We're solution architects based out of Australia, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of AWS Tech Chat. Russ here, and I have Dr. Pete with me as well. Hello, Dr. Pete. Hi, Russell, and hello, listeners. Welcome back to AWS Tech Chat, and this is episode three. We have an action-packed episode for you today, whereby we're going to talk about the usual AWS Tech Roundup, but we also have a special guest. And today we have Ash Willis, who is a senior manager for training in APAC. He'll be joining us later in the show. Fantastic. Well, let's kick off the the roundup, Pete. And since we last spoke, one of the biggest announcements, obviously, was a new region in APAC, and that is in Mumbai. Indeed. So uh, if you're in India, I'm sure you're already using it. But uh, yeah, we've uh, basically opened our doors in India, in Mumbai region. Now, Mumbai joins Beijing, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, and Tokyo as our sixth AWS region in Asia. And it's also the 13th region on a worldwide scale, which is fantastic. Now, as you know, we're growing really rapidly. And uh, this brings us to a total of 35 availability zones worldwide, which is a lot. Fantastic. So welcome to all of our Indian listeners. And uh, as Pete said, I'm sure you guys uh, are on there already. Busy launching your instances. That's right. Now, one of the other things that's come out recently, which uh, is of interest to a lot of customers, is the Elastic Network Adapter. Mm -hmm. That sounds very interesting. Pete, what's that all about? It's pretty cool. It's the next generation network interface for EC2 instances. And what that really is all about is the ENA, as we're calling it, uh, is a custom network interface, and it's purely optimized to deliver a high throughput and a very high packet per second performance. Um, it provides you with uh, also low latency, so it's fantastic in terms of throughput and performance. Uh, but also, in the past, most people have been used to getting 10 gigabits per second of network throughput. With the ENA, which is now available on the X1 instances, uh, it can go up to 20 gigabits of network throughput, which is incredibly fast for lots of high throughput, you know, high compute, cluster computing applications. So it gives you lots of availability uh, in terms of um, speed. So uh, you mentioned um, 20 gigabits a second there. Do I need to have my instances in a placement group to to get that level of performance? Yes, you do. Um, But let me explain what a placement group is. Um, Essentially, it's a logical grouping of instances within a single availability zone. Uh, And by placing your instances, or rather selecting your placement groups, uh, this gives you essentially access to low latency and high throughput networking. So in this case, you'll be selecting an X1 instance, uh, running it in a placement group, and getting those 20 gigabits per second of throughput for your applications. Uh, The interesting thing about that is um, we've also had to make some adjustments into the um, device drivers that are running in those instances uh, to be able to get that enhanced throughput. Right. So a placement group is essentially just a way for customers to tell us that they would like certain instances placed to, uh, close together, basically, to get to get that really low latency, high throughput. Exactly right. You know, As you know, when you launch an instance in an availability zone, we launch it uh, across our entire um, set of um, data centers that make up the availability zone. Uh, so by selecting a placement group, we try to ensure that your instances are very close to each other. So, Pete, you mentioned the X1 there. What is that exactly? So the X1 is one of our new instances in the EC2 family. And essentially, it's a very large instance, the X1 
32X large instance has basically four Intel E7 you know, processors running at 2.3 gigahertz, which give you essentially uh, 64 cores. So that adds up to being 128 vCPUs, which is phenomenal in terms of scale out at the raw hardware level. And these come with um, also a turbo mode, uh, so turbo boost, which can push it up to 3.1 gigahertz. Peter, I, I love it when you talk hardware specs. <laughs> I don't do it often enough, Russ. So, uh, you know, let, let me geek out. So lots of lots of raw grunt power, which you get to have all dedicated to yourself for things like, you know, essentially memory intensive big data applications, which I'm sure you will appreciate caching and analytics um, and all sorts of things that generally wouldn't fit in the memory space of uh, our other instances. So how much memory is on there? Uh, two terabytes. Oh, nice. Okay. Fantastic. There's a lot. Yeah, and I think a lot of the uh, initial use of those has been around um, SAP as well, hasn't it? Yes, SAP, SAP HANA um, has definitely become almost the um, X1 as the instance of choice because a lot of the stuff needs to be in RAM and most customers want to be able to do rapid transactions, rapid queries, uh, all in memory. Oh my gosh, I sound like a big data guy all of a sudden. Fantastic. I'm going to get you there eventually, you know that. <laughs> You're working on it, well done. <laughs> Fantastic. So one of the other things that was released recently, although not in Sydney yet, uh, just in, uh, in US East, West and in Europe, is EFS. Tell us about EFS, Pete. So EFS is this essentially elastic file system. And what that is, it's a POSIX compliant file system that you can attach to one or more, uh, or lots in fact, of EC2 instances as an NFS mount, so a network file system. So the, the cool thing about EFS is that it grows and shrinks as you use it. There's actually no upper fixed limit, so you can keep growing to petabytes in scale. Essentially, it's available across multiple zones. So in a region, when you launch an EFS, file system, you select which availability zones you'd like it in, you lock it down with security groups, and then you mount that endpoint uh, from your applications, which is which is a great use case for lots of applications like CMS platforms that you have an authoring node and you've been auto-scaling out horizontally, and you want to make sure that as you create new data, it can be available across the entire auto-scaled fleet. Right. So essentially, any application or workload that requires the sharing of data between EC2 instances is a good candidate for EFS. It sure is. Uh, for example, something more more recent, you know, the CMS uh, use cases, but also if you are playing with Docker and potentially using it today, what you could do is be able to have your Docker containers mount the EFS file system and have access to the same data set, the same files, across all of your containers, which may be very heavily stacked in a single instance or be smeared across you know, tens or hundreds of other instances. So it's a great way of being able to see the same files no matter how many machines are connecting to the same file system. So shared volumes, essentially, what we're talking about. Right. So it just adds to the different storage options that you've got. So you've got S3, obviously, uh, you can use as an object store. You've got EBS as a block store, which is really one volume um, per instance. Um, or sorry, one, yeah, so one volume can only be on one instance at a time. And then you've got EFS, which gives you that ability to scale across multiple instances. Exactly. And, and just to add the, we have a crediting system, uh, which again, which you are probably familiar with. Uh, so the more data you consume on EFS, the, the higher the throughput. So as an example, if you have a hundred gigabyte file, 
uh, or files, in fact, uh, you can burst up to 100 megabytes per second throughput for up to uh, 72 minutes each day, or you can drive up to five megabytes per second constant continuous throughput. So it's still quite a, you know, a high volume throughput file system. Again, you know, think about your use cases, think about how chatty your applications are, because these are credited. So as you use them, you draw your credits down. When your file system is not as chatty, uh, you start getting your credits back. All right, let's talk about some updates in the development world and specifically the quick start reference deployment for Red Hat OpenShift, Pete. Yeah, yeah. So Red Hat OpenShift is actually a PaaS that's been around for a little while. Um, and now there's a quick reference guide, which means you can actually read through the documentation and run the CloudFormation template that will spin up an Amazon VPC with a couple of subnets. Um, it will spin up some NATs. Uh, to give you internet connectivity, as well as a master node which controls the Red Hat OpenShift con controller components, as well as uh, a couple of nodes which run the uh, the Kubelets and the Docker services where your applications are actually launched into. So the nice thing about it is uh, it spins up on uh, on RHEL, so the Red Hat Linux, uh, and we give you all the bits and pieces you need to get started developing with OpenShift. So if you're already running it elsewhere, you can now bring it into AWS Cloud and get all the benefits essentially, of running it on AWS. Fantastic. And now, the, the quick start that you referred to, there's actually quite a few of those. Uh, so if you go to um, the main website, uh, aws.amazon.com slash quick start, one word, you'll see a whole bunch of them there, and they range across a number of different workloads. There's DevOps and configuration ones. There's there's ones for accelerating compliance as well, uh, things like P PCI, DSS, etc. The security ones, there's some big data ones as well. So getting things like Mongo up and running quickly, SAP HANA. Um, and there's a brand new one, which is around uh, getting a VPC up and running. So the quick starts typically contain um, a CloudFormation template and just allow you to to get some of those uh, those AWS building blocks up and running very quickly. It's a great way to get started, you know, and experiment with, uh, you know, pre-canned, you know, usable, quite commonly experienced um, scenarios. Uh, and there's a whole raft of even Microsoft ones for getting Exchange up and running as well. So uh, well worth playing with and experimenting. Yeah, that's right. Something else that, uh, that caught my eye recently, Pete, in the developer world was that AWS Mobile Hub has now got the option to specify where the capacity will be provisioned so which region that that capacity will be provisioned in um, mm -hmm. so these now include um, us east us west uh, both of the eu regions, regions. plus now uh, tokyo and sydney as well so um, i thought that might be worth mentioning to everyone and uh, you've had a bit of a play with mobile hub i think yes i have it's uh, it's a great way to get started building um, essentially mobile applications and yeah so you know when you log in uh, and you create a new project uh, you actually get asked to you know, set a region where you want to get your resources. So, you know, the AWS services are residing for your backend applications. So whether it's for NoSQL databases or where you want to store your user data, in which, whichever region. And what it will do is it'll actually figure out whether that service is available there. And if it isn't, it'll pick the next closest region for you. So it's a, it's a very nice way of rapidly building your applications and connecting the backends. Um, to um, you know the respective services that are in region or potentially to the closest region where you are developing your application. So yeah, great for mobile devs. All right, and while we're in the developer vein, uh, another interesting development was the Python serverless micro framework. Tell us a bit about that. 
Yes, so for those of you who like to develop in Python, and there's quite a few out there that I know of, um, what it's all about is, you know, as you know, Lambda is a serverless framework and the API gateway, um, you know, accelerates and simplifies development of APIs uh, that front potentially your Lambda functions or perhaps your backend systems. What we've done is we've released a tool called Chalice, which is a command line tool. And it's actually based on a popular programming framework called Flask that a lot of... Um, Python developers are probably familiar with. It's a framework that helps developers rapidly build applications. What it means is you can rapidly build a Python application, um, select which um, routes you'd like to have your application call into, uh, and essentially in, in a couple of seconds run a command line tool, run Chalice, which will then essentially create the Lambda function, upload your Python code and create the API gateway for you. So in terms of prototyping locally and then deploying rapidly into the cloud and then having your dev test cycle, uh, this really accelerates your productivity. So Rust, it's a great way to uh, leverage a tool. It's currently in a developer preview, well worth having a play with because it does make your development experience a lot quicker and easier. Awesome stuff. Now, one other development, Pete, was around Lumberyard, which I confess to not know much about. So tell us what has changed and, in fact, what Lumberyard is. So Lumberyard is actually our game development framework. It's a platform for building games. Um, now, I used to – actually, my, one of my first jobs in my career was actually being a game developer on the uh, on the Sega Mega Drive Russ. So I have oh, a, a lot of affinity to gamers, yes. So it was a lot of fun. It's my, it was my dream job before AWS came along. Now, Lumberyard is now in beta, uh, 1.3 beta. And what it is, essentially, it's a development framework for building games, like I said earlier. Now, it has had – uh, 130 improvements in this release, so which is huge, and also allows build really amazing, visually stunning games for which also now support VR devices like the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive, uh, as well as you know the high dynamic range or HDR displays and pixel shaders that are out there for games. Lumberyard, you know, essentially is a tool you sit in. You build your 3D models and you know build the application logic and then deploy those uh, either directly onto EC2 um, or potentially use um, GameLift to deploy it into the cloud. Um, now, certainly it's, it's a bit of a niche because it is uh, very much targeting the gamer developer community, uh, but certainly it's a lot of fun if you want to experiment and build some 3D games. Pete, the only thing that excites me more than you talking about hardware tech specs is you <laughs> using terms like pixel shader. <laughs> yes, I'm showing my age and uh, my you know my joys of being younger because uh, gaming is so much fun. It's a huge industry, as as you all know. After the movie industry, you know, the gaming industry is a multi-billion-dollar you know market. And uh, you know, if you look at you know all the games that are out there, and my kids are playing Pokemon Go at the moment and bumping into walls in the house, uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's certainly <laughs> a lot of fun. So you could build the next Pokemon Go, in fact. All right. So uh, from there to something not quite as exciting as gaming, but uh, but interesting in and of itself, and that's the the EC2 run command. So we introduced this a couple of months ago, where you could actually run commands on your Linux instances or your Windows instances. Now, what we've done is we've actually extended that to virtual machines outside of AWS. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, so this is great for either hybrid or cross-cloud environments. And so you can now run – it's great for, you know, running scripts for very repetitive tasks. So you, can, you can do that on uh, VMware, uh, ESX, Microsoft Hyper-V and other platforms as well, Pete. Yeah, it's very cool because uh, all you need to do is install a little agent – 
on your, you know, in your instance, which is in fact EC2 config if you're running Windows, um, all those um, agents both either in the cloud or on-prem that you've installed will talk to the simple systems manager service. And then through the AWS web console or through the APIs, you can then launch commands, both PowerShell for Windows and shell commands for Linux to be able to install software, run patches, and be able to, you know, control your entire fleet of machines, irrespective whether it's in the cloud on-prem. So it's a great way to be able to, you know, essentially unify and uh, control all of your, you know, uh, compute infrastructure, uh, whether it's in or out of the cloud, Russ. So it's, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, nice one. Now, something else to add to the uh, portfolio that's also been released is the Amazon SNS, which has now added the SMS functionality. In other words, the short message service. That's right. And you can do that worldwide. So you can actually send messages now, SMSs to phone numbers in 200 countries. And what customers are using this for is things like um, sending their customers one-time passwords and uh, or maybe promotional messages, etc. So uh, a nice little addition to SNS there that now you can go global with that. And also more recently, we've also added the AWS IoT service, which is now available in Sydney. And I'm really excited about it. And uh, a lot of uh, folks that I've met are super excited because now you can build your um, you know, IoT device applications and have the backend running really locally, i.e. in Sydney, uh, which now reduces the latency. And also, as a part of that, you know, we've also added things like the Java and Python SDKs into the mix, which are adding functionality for those particular developers. But also, we've got SDKs for embedded C, JavaScript, the Arduino platform, iOS, and Androids. And essentially what those SDKs do is simplify the communication between the mobile device and the IoT service. Um, and essentially, you know, lets you leverage fantastic protocols like MQTT uh, and MQTT over WebSockets as well as HTTP to be able to communicate, you know, state and behavior changes between the device itself uh, and its device shadow in the cloud. So it's a fantastic way, Russ, to get things, you know, really developed in the mobile embedded space. And as we all know, IoT is, uh, yeah, becoming really popular. It is becoming popular, and I think what we'll probably do is actually have a deep dive on that in uh, in an upcoming episode because, as you say, there's a lot of interest, and we've got um, a couple of uh, experts uh, quite close to home as well, so we might get them on to talk about that in a bit more detail um, in an upcoming episode. Indeed. Now, what about databases, your, your favorite topic, being a big data guy? Uh, oh, tell, finally, tell us, finally. Yes, finally. We were kind of a show without that. So tell us a little bit about the uh, migration service. Yeah, so we introduced the AWS database migration service a few months ago, and it's designed, as the name suggests, to help you to migrate data from maybe an on-premise database or a database uh, sitting on EC2 onto, uh, onto a cloud-based database. Now, that can be a one-off migration or now, what you can also do is do continuous replication as well. So we have customers who often have use cases where they still want to run a transactional workload on that source database, but they want to do change data capture, so capturing all those changes and then propagating them through to a cloud-based database, maybe for analysis purposes or, or for some other workload. Now, what we've done with the new version of DMS is to add multi-AZ capabilities. So now you can actually have that across AZs. And so that's really kind of a prerequisite for doing continuous data replication to make sure that you don't have a single point of failure there. So that's an exciting release there. And we've also in that release added SSL enabled endpoints as well for some of the engines. So have a look uh, at the website for that because the, the mode 
of SSL support differs depending on the the database uh, source and target. But um, but we've added uh, that capability too. And also, if you happen to be uh, a Sybase expert, we've now got support for Sybase Adaptive Server Enterprise, now actually called SAP ASE, um, and that can be both a source and a target um, for DMS as well. So that's very exciting. That's very cool. And what about the AWS Schema Conversion Tool? There's some additional new features um, that have just been released as well. Yeah, that's right. So the, the Schema Conversion Tool is a sister tool to the Database Migration Service. So whereas the, the DMS tool is really for propagating changes to the data itself, before you do that, obviously, you need to have a schema in your target database. Mm-hmm. So what the schema conversion tool will do for you is to help you to actually convert the, the schema or the data model from that source database into the um, uh, the target database. And we support a number of, um, uh, of kind of heterogeneous changes there. Uh, and what we've done is we've also added conversions from Oracle Data Warehouse and Teradata to the Amazon Redshift um, schema. So if you're looking to to convert those databases, have a look at the schema conversion tool. Uh, that can certainly help you with that. Awesome. And what about the new things that are happening around Aurora and MySQL, you know, creation and restoration from S3? So as you guys know, and that Amazon Aurora is a flavor of the RDS service, and it's a database that we have developed it's completely mysql compatible um, and a lot of people want to move their existing mysql databases uh, to aurora so what we've done now is given you the ability to actually take a backup of your mysql database put that into s3 and then from there you can basically just rehydrate that straight into uh, an aurora cluster now the way you do that is using percona extra backup and what's percona so that haven't come across it? Yeah, it's an open source um, and free MySQL backup software, and mm-hmm. basically allows you to um, take backups of your database without without blocking any transactions. Um, put that into S3, uh, and then uh, you can then use that to um, to rehydrate that, as I said, into an Aurora database. So um, easier than ever to to get going uh, with Aurora. Fabulous. And speaking of Aurora's encryption and unencryption, um, what's happening in the backup space there? So we had a, a lot of calls from customers who said, I want to run uh, Aurora in encrypted mode. I want to have encrypted clusters, but I've only got an unencrypted um, backup. And so we've now got the option to actually restore into an encrypted Aurora database from an unencrypted backup. Um, and you can use uh, KMS, which is our key management service, to use an existing key or a new key to actually do that encryption for you. So again, just trying to um, to ease the... Um, ease the path into Aurora. Fantastic. Wow, that's a huge AWS tech roundup, Russ. That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of great stuff. Something for everyone in there, I think, Pete. All right. So it's time for our guest speaker in this episode, and we've got Ash Willis, who is the head of training for AWS in APAC, who's going to talk to us about all things training, but also talk about certifications as well. How are you, Ash? Yeah, doing really well, Russ. Thanks for having me on the show. Ash, welcome to the show. And just to kick off, Tell us, what do you actually do at Amazon? So um, my team at uh, Amazon, Pete, we uh, look after all of our uh, training and enablement requirements uh, for our uh, customers and partners uh, across Asia Pacific. And in terms of the kind of you know courses that we have, what's actually out there available for, 
folks to go through and you know get certified and also the courses that are now available for attending yeah so our um our, our offering continues to expand all the time so we uh, have a variety of different ways that people can learn about amazon web services ranging from classroom based training sessions uh to some online materials and the other uh, big area of focus for us has been developing a a very rich array of self-paced labs as well. Um, We've got over 100 self-paced labs available now. And in terms of the certifications that are out there, um, can we go through some of those and make our listeners aware of what's available to them to actually, you know, strive towards getting a badge of honor of certification? Yeah, so um, massive amount of interest in our certification program. Um, I think that uh, all of the listeners will know how uh, much interest and demand there is for AWS accredited uh, people across the marketplace and um, we're always growing our certification program. Uh, We currently have uh, five certifications in our portfolio um, ranging from uh, associate level certs uh, up to professional level certifications as well. The way that we've structured our our cert program uh, is a little bit different to what you normally see in the market. And uh, we have built those certifications based around uh, common roles that we see uh, within our our customers. Um, So we've got certs for architects, um, for operators, and also for people that uh, develop applications on on top of Amazon Web Services. And in terms of um, those certifications, you know, what are the benefits of getting certified? Yeah, so there's a few benefits. Um, So firstly, certifications are a really good way to validate um, your expertise on a, a particular technology, and uh, if you're, uh, you know, in the job market or um, you're looking at, at changing careers, um, uh, certifications are a really good way to to prove to prospective employers that uh, you really know your stuff around a particular technology. Um, the other benefit that we really see around certification as well is that uh, it's a great way to build a community. Um, so uh, we run a, a number of different programs to help um, get our certified community together and uh, those events are, are great networking opportunities. Um, and I think the, the sort of uh, other benefit that would be remiss of me not to mention uh, is it's a, a great opportunity to uh, advance your career uh, and uh, uh, also earn a few more bucks as well. Um, so we've uh, had some great press recently around um, the value, uh, the monetary value of um, AWS certifications. Back to the courses now. So we've got the publicly available courses that you can sign in and uh, attend, but we've also got some ones we can run privately for organizations that are more tailored to their requirements. Yeah, yeah. So um, we work with uh, a number of different providers uh, across the Asia-Pacific region um, to offer a, a very robust schedule of public training courses. Um, but as you just pointed out, Pete, um, a lot of customers really want us to um, uh, come onto their site, um, do something that might be slightly customized or, or tailored to their particular needs. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of, of what we do to help uh, customers be successful with Amazon Web Services. Bits of feedback I got was um, actually having those run in-house was really great because the dev teams or the uh, architects could be more open about what they're doing. I guess some people sort of hold back talking about what they're doing in the organizations because obviously cloud's a competitive advantage for many of our customers. Um, have you seen any great examples that you can share with us around 
the, the rate of adoption or perhaps you know the benefits of you know having your entire team go through an in-house training regime yeah yeah and I think uh, you know this is evolving all the time as well um, but uh, what we really like to talk to our customers about is is proper skills transformation and uh, uh, AWS um, uh, is a very very broad broad platform as, as you guys know and uh, what we really like to do is, is work closely with our customers to understand, um, you know, what the objectives are in terms of, you know, skill and, and people transformation and really craft a program that, that meets their needs. And we've seen some great examples of, of uh, that happening and, uh, you know, helping it to kickstart uh, virtual teams um, within larger companies that all share a common interest around AWS. There's a lot of value, I guess, in having the same, you know, lexicon, the same language that teams talk in. You know, when you mention things like Beanstalk and CloudFormation, you know, a lot of people go, what is that without actually, you know, understanding Amazon? So, yeah, it's a great way to demystify a lot of that. That's what I found personally. Yeah, yeah and, it's, uh, and again, this comes back to the breadth and, and depth of our offering. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we, we like to do with customers very early on in our engagement is, um, to introduce them to the common concepts around uh, AWS. And uh, we've got an offering called uh, AWS Techn- Technical Essentials, which is a one-day course. And we find that that's a fantastic way to, to level set and, uh, as you mentioned, get everyone onto the, the same page and a common vocabulary as well. And how technical do you have to be to do that course? Um, yeah, so I'd say that it's, a, it's an entry-level technical course. Um, the, the name... Uh, is uh, you know a little bit misleading and sometimes scares people away. Uh, and I generally say to people, if you know how to use a keyboard and a mouse, you're uh, more capable <laughs> of, uh, of going through that that class. Um, we also have a business uh, equivalent of that course as well, um, which focuses more on um, you know why would you use AWS from a business standpoint? What are some of the cost considerations, security, compliance considerations, those types of things. Um, but uh, technical essentials is is really great for anyone that um, likes to visualize how to do things with uh, AWS, and it's a good blend of of lecture material and uh, also some uh, some introductory level hands on activity as well. Awesome. And what about the future? What's what's coming up in the training and certification space that you can share with us and our listeners? Oh man, you know we never sit still. Uh, <laughs> <we're>, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> We're, we're always working on new things. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of um, key things that uh, have really have our focus at the moment. Um, one is um, um, continuing to broaden our um, training offerings um, through a variety of different mediums. And I touched on some of those uh, at the start of the call. But uh, uh, taking uh, the feedback that we're getting from our customers and uh, uh, diving deeper into new technologies um, um, becoming uh, more solution orientated uh, with some of our courses as well um, and uh, yeah really focused around uh, new and different broadening the, the um, modalities of training that we'd like to um, so you know building out our online portfolio um, some new classroom based training courses um, and also working on a, a couple of new certifications that are going to be coming as well Fantastic. And look, you know, I've been certified for a while, I'm sure, just like Russ. Um, and I've just got a note in my inbox saying, hey, you're, uh, uh, you've been certified for a while now. You need to go through and reset the certifications, you know. Um, how popular is that? Is that, is that um, 
you know, a key driver for a lot of our, our certified individuals? Because I guess, you know, in my mind, it keeps you more current and up to date. Yeah, so uh, we all know that the platform changes uh, every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that people that are, are carrying that badge really understand um, how to work with, with our technology. And uh, that's why we've introduced a, a research program. Uh, so certifications remain current for two years. Um, we've got a number of different ways that people can recertify. Uh, it could be taking um, a, a recertification exam based on uh, the same cert that they held, uh, or it could be upgrading to a higher level of certification as well, uh, also satisfies those research requirements. Um, so that's been received uh, really well. Um, people that value their certification want to make sure that uh, you know, it remains well recognized within the industry. And, um, um, yeah, we've been getting a fantastic take-up around uh, the research requirements. So speaking of take-up, um, if someone who's listening isn't certified, what should they do? How do they kick off their studying, you know, learning journey and then certification? Yeah, well, I was going to say they should go and get certified if they're not already <laughs> certified. Um, so there's a couple of uh, um, resources that we have available and what I'd encourage people to do as their first stop is um, visit our certification page, um, which is very simple, aws.amazon.com forward slash certification. And what we've got on that site is an overview of all the certs, um, but more importantly, a, a blueprint and some prep guides that talk about um, what you should be uh, learning. Uh, And we also provide some links to some resources um, to help people learn as well. And uh, we recognize that uh, different people like to learn in different ways and we try and provide a variety of different options that uh, suits that person's learning style. Ash, we've got to wrap it up shortly, but do you have any closing thoughts for those that haven't actually started their certification journey as, as such? Yeah, so just to reiterate, um, huge uh, amount of demand that uh, we're seeing from uh, our partners and customers to attract uh, AWS certified uh, people into their businesses. Uh, it's a great way to demonstrate that you know our platform and that you have uh, you know, a high level of competency around our platform. A uh, great opportunity to advance uh, your career. And uh, as I mentioned, some uh, excellent uh, earning opportunities as well based around our certification. Yeah. Um, so, so, so get on board, um, study hard, um, and, uh, and go on in that badge of honor. Awesome. I guess there's a lot of people out there uh, on LinkedIn claiming to be cloud specialists uh, without being certified. So this is one great way of standing out in the crowd. And Russ, are you certified? Uh, I am, Pete, but you've just reminded me that I need to go and recertify, so thanks for that. (laughs) I think we both do. Russ, um, you know, uh, join me in thanking um, Ash for taking his busy time out to join us because he's currently in Seattle. I'm in Melbourne. You're in Sydney. um, So it's pretty amazing that we could align the three different time zones by the locations. Gotta love technology. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Ash. Well, I hope everyone you found that interesting, talking to Ash about all things training. It was fun. That's it. That's it for this podcast because uh, Pete and I have to go now because we have to go and uh, do some swatting for our recertification. That's right. So thanks for joining us once again and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Signing off, this is Russ. And this is Dr. Pete. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues and tune in again to learn more about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to the AWS Tech Chat through iTunes, SoundCloud, or by Googling AWS Tech Chat.